and welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down. I am your host, Stephen Weed, of course, always joining me, my main man in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Mr. Walter Lukashensky. Wally, NFL Sunday was back. It was phenomenal. I easily gained seven to eight pounds and all the shitty food that I ate, a couple of the beers that I had, but seven NFL games on in the one o'clock slot, had all four on during the four o'clock slot. It was phenomenal. I've really gotten to the point now between these podcasts and watching football all the time where I think my life is just encapsulated by football of some capacity at all points of my life. And I'm very okay with that. It's gotten great. Having NFL back couldn't be more exciting. I almost hate having the Raiders be that late Monday night game all the time and week one because I almost have FOMO on Sunday while you guys are watching your teams get to play. I have to wait until Monday night each time. I'm just happy that it ended with a W. But one thing outside of football related I wanted to bring up, just because I'm a big comedy fan, and I'm sure there's quite a few people out there that are big comedy fans as well. We lost one of the best ever to do it in Norm McDonald yesterday. Very rarely do I get that gut punch where I kind of well up about celebrities or other famous people passing away. But it felt like you knew Norm when you watched his shows, when you watched his stand-up. So it hurt. I know that you're a big fan of that as well, Steven. I saw your reaction when I brought that up. What was your, I guess, takeaways when you saw that? Because, man, that that felt like a... It was just a, a cataclysmic gut punch to people that like comedy. Man, really showing off that doctrine in English with that with that nice vocabulary there. No, I, I couldn't, could not agree with you more. Uh, you know, growing up, we're 90s kids. We're the, we're the, you know, early, late 90s is when we're going to really start remembering stuff. That was kind of that tail end of that just pristine Saturday Night Live crew. You had the Norm McDonald's. You had Farley. You had a sprinkling of, you know, those David Spades, Dana Carvey, Adam Sandler, Tim Meadows, all that guy. I grew up with that shit. I remember, you know, growing up, me and my dad were always watching the SNL skits. How can you ever forget the famous Jeopardy skit? Burt Reynolds. Nah, it's Turd Ferguson now. I, it's That one has always stuck with me. So, yeah, just I can't reiterate enough and kind of reciprocate your feelings that you have. It's definitely a gut punch. It felt just that nostalgic gut punch. Of, I remember so many Saturdays, so many weekends watching those SNL skits with Norm MacDonald in there. And, yeah, it sucks. It's horrible. But he'd want us to continue talking about football, Wally. He would, and we will get to football here in a second. Last sad thing I'll say for that, though, is that that's the second guy we've lost here in the last month or so. We also lost Sean Locke. Anyone that was into that dry humor, deadpan style that, like Norm, would probably also really like Sean Locke. So if you're one of those types of people that like to mourn through watching their achievements, go watch those guys. We won't stay on the tough news. I just would have been really upset with myself not to bring these guys up. I'm sure there's plenty of other people our age that grew up on these guys that really have been feeling it this last month or so. But let's just hope we don't have that bad news comes in threes come to fruition on this one. I don't think I could take it. Well, the celebrities do die in the threes. I haven't heard anything as of right now for that second person to be in this, you know, in that realm or in this two-week time period. But I'm scared. Anytime you see that one celebrity die, you're like, okay, who's going who's gonna to come up? Please be someone that doesn't matter. You know, there's there's a lot of high prospects to be on that list, like a Betty White, a William Shatner. It's like you were so in my head about Betty right White. Now. I'm scared, too. I'm glad you said that, because 
every year I'm like, do not take Betty White from us yet. She's still too young. You cannot take Betty White. She's supposed to be here forever. You also can't forget about the male counterpart of Betty White, Bob Barker. That man is 97 and still kicking. Talk about nostalgia. We cannot have those people. Well, not really Betty White, but Price is Right, Bob Barker, Price is Wrong, bitch, of course. Unfortunately, we will continue with the sad news, really depending on what part of the country you're in. But the Jacksonville Jaguars go to Houston, get absolutely embarrassed in the first NFL game for Trevor Lawrence, as well as the head coach, your boy, Urban Meyer. Houston outgaining Jacksonville 448 to 395, which most of that yardage for Jacksonville was in garbage time. Trevor Lawrence throwing three interceptions in this first game, and your team just looked absolutely horrible. Wally, maybe Houston not as bad as we think, or Jacksonville just really is a lot worse than that over five and a half, six game mark that we had here in the beginning of the season. Houston is still as bad as we thought. People just weren't as low on the Jaguars as they should have been. This is an Urban Meyer led team that won't be Urban Meyer led very long. I think this will. You heard me on the preseason show say this is a Jaguars team that will be without Urban Meyer at the end of this year. I mean, it just doesn't look like a team that's bought into what he's doing. It looks like a team that got out coached. And if you have David Culley out coaching you on Sunday, I don't know what to tell you. Texans, yeah, sure, they looked better than we, I guess, anticipated them looking. But that's, again, going into what this Jaguars team is. I would not be very excited in Houston or Jacksonville. That's just a dumpster fire of a game. Sam Darnold and the Carolina Panthers beat his former team in the Jets by five points on Sunday in Carolina. They were up big early in this game. New York does play better in the second half and makes it look a little bit more like a competition. However, Mekhi Becton, he goes down in this game. He gets hurt. We were excited to see what that young left side of the line could do. Now it looks like Zach Wilson is going to have to get on without at least his star left tackle. That leads me into my question for you now. Was this a game that was more about what the Panthers did? Or is this a game that just showed that the Jets are that far away still? I don't think that the Jets are that far away from this game. You know, I th- I think giving the upper hand of the Carolina Panthers wasn't crazy. I was I was really surprised by the 19-14 scorecard that it showed in favor of Carolina. They were leading this team 16-0 at halftime. The Jets came to score 14-3 run in the second half, I guess some would say. Shout out, first of all, shout out to my Carolina betters that took them at minus three because they were attempting a two-point conversion at the end of that game to hopefully make it go on for the onside to tie it with the field goal. They end up not getting it. They win by five. Instead of the push, people are getting money off that. I'm more surprised in the team that Carolina had brought. I'm not expecting them to be lighting the league on fire. I was expecting a lot more offensive firepower with that connection with Robbie Anderson. You got DJ Moore and, of course, Christian McCaffrey back. 20 touches and 187 total yards. That man is right back where he left off about two seasons ago before obviously being injury-ridden here last year. No injuries. No excuse. Philadelphia Eagles fly into the Falcons' nest here, absolutely demolish the Matt Ryan-led Atlanta Falcons. Arthur Smith having his first NFL head coaching game, only putting up six points. Wow, that's the offensive mastermind that you bring to Atlanta, putting up six points against what was a very porous defense in Philadelphia last year. The Falcons looked like absolute dog shit. I'm so happy I wasn't as high on him this year as I was last year because Wally would be at my neck already. I would have been at your neck, but lucky for you, you did not fall for the same trap again. 
The Eagles, though, this is a question of how much is this what they did or how bad is Atlanta? And I think that Atlanta is that bad. The Eagles look really, really good on Sunday, but we have to take it with a grain of salt when you look at the team they did play. But you should be encouraged with the way Jalen Hurts came out. Didn't turn the ball over, completed what? I want to say over 250 yards, three touchdowns. You get Devontae Smith involved early. Jalen Rieger looks good. This is about as dream of a start for you if you're an Eagles fan as you could hope for. And just equally as bad Falcons fans, I'd be miserable. You expect to see at least that passing offense really make an impact in this game. Not only did Matt Ryan look pedestrian, but your number four pick, Kyle Pitts, the guy who's supposed to replace Julio Jones' production, he only has four catches for 31 yards. Eagles fans, I have to give your team credit when they do well because you know I'm going to tear them down when they do poorly. Credit to them, they could be better than we thought they are, maybe a player in the NFC East. Now another team that I think people were a little low on that now, like myself, got to see what that defense is about this last week. Denver goes into MetLife Stadium, beat the Giants 27-13, but realistically they could have played another four quarters, and I don't know if the Giants would get the 27 points. Is it time to start wondering if this Broncos team might be a wild card player in the AFC? I'm not all for the overreactions here after week one. Before I really get into this, sorry for anyone who did take the over for the sacks in this game. Only ended up being four. Three of them to the Denver Broncos, one of them to the New York Giants. Hell of a first game back for Vaughn Miller. You definitely felt his presence there. And man, oh man, he's just one of those players you love. It, the game is better to watch and the game is better in general with players like Vaughn Miller in the game. This is going to come down to Teddy Bridgewater. If his quarterback play... Is going to continue like this. Teddy B, 28 of 36, 264 yards and two touchdowns. No, the stat line's not blowing up, but the main thing that sticks out, there's no turnovers in there. That's what Teddy Bridgewater is going to bring to the table here. They have a defense where they can play, take some risk offensively, as well as they have some offensive weapons. We'll see how Jerry Judy's looking after that high ankle sprain that he had sustained in the, in the win. But I think the Broncos could be the real deal. I don't know that division. Everyone's one to know in that division there, Wally. So that's a very that's a close race with a whole sixteen game season. If you can remember way back to last year when that was the actual norm, we actually have a whole season going into it. My thing I want to focus on, Saquon Barkley, yes, he was in a limited role. Only had twenty seven yards. I don't care how limited that is, that dude can rip that off in one run, obviously. But 27 yards for a star like that, glaring offensive line problems are only going to get worse this season, and that is something that they need to address immediately. If they want to, A, keep their star healthy, and B, keep your star in New York and in that Giants uniform. San Francisco with the worst bad beat of the week. My goodness. They avoid a late surge from the, the Detroit Lions, who they were handling easily. Throughout that whole game. I wasn't even paying attention until the end of the 1 o'clock games. And they go, well, we're going to flip it over here to Detroit. Where the Lions have clawed all the way back to only down a score. And they had a ball because of a fumble. San Fran really, it just turned into guard. Dan Campbell just got his team fired up to play in garbage time. That ended up being a potential comeback scenario. Is a game like this going to give any credibility to Dan Campbell in your mind? Or is San Fran just really took the foot off the gas, and ended up just getting lucky. I think this is less about what San Francisco did in terms of getting lucky, and it was just a let your foot off the gas in week one. 
you're a team that you're up 38 to 10 in the second half. You've been dominating this game throughout. You see your starting back and Raheem Mostert tears ACL. He's out for the year. Unfortunately, now when you watch this game, it's easy to imagine getting a little, what, disinterested. You're playing the worst team in football, or at least one of them, a team that you should expect to win two to four games. You go up to four scores and just, I mean, credit to Dan Campbell. He wasn't kidding. He said he was going to have his players gritty and willing to play hard and not quit in an entire 60-minute game because they crawled back and gave one of the worst beats that I can remember. You're down 28, and you cover a seven and a half, or you cover an eight and a half point spread. That's a nightmare for gamblers. If you were a Bengals fan or riding with them like I was last week, you almost had your own bad beat on Sunday. Bengals are up 14 points in the third quarter before Zach Taylor goes for it on fourth and one on his own 30 yard line, completely flips the game, and feels like the Vikings might actually come back to take the lead before Dalvin Cook fumbles the ball in overtime. Very questionable on whether or not that should have been ruled a fumble or not. But one thing that was not questionable is the balls on Joey Burrow audibling to that fourth and inch play, getting them a win. The Bengals are 1-0. They play the Bears next week. You're an NFC North guy. The Vikings looked very bad against a team we did not expect to perform this year in the Bengals. How do you feel about this Vikings team? And how excited should you be if you're a Cincinnati Bengals fan? The Vikes kind of shot themselves in the foot on this. You know, that doubt, like you said, that Dalvin Cook fumble was very controversial. I, I could see it going both ways. Although when I saw it as a fumble, I was like, ah, it looks like his it looks like his butt is on the ground. He's got cheeks in the grass. I don't understand how the call didn't get turned over. I mean, I understand why. It's definitely a flawed rule with that. The Vikings had 12 penalties for 116 yards. To Cincinnati's three for 15. Dalvin Cook didn't really do too much until the end of that game is when he scored that touchdown. And then, obviously, like I said, then he had the fumble there in overtime. Joe Mixon becoming a problem for those Bengals. We're going to flip it, flip the script to other running backs. 29 rushes, 127 yards, and a tutty, adding four receptions for 23 yards. The Vikings' defense didn't look good all preseason. Now, they didn't really have too many starters playing there, but now it kind of looks like maybe it's a foreshadowing. Maybe the Vikings are not going to make that leap with Kirk Cousins as as we are expecting. Maybe they peaked here a couple years ago when they got hot at the end of the season, rallied off a couple playoff wins, losing to San Francisco, who ends up going to the Super Bowl, losing to the Chiefs. The Vikings just have not been the same since. And, hmm, let's see. They also haven't really been the same since they got rid of Stephon Diggs. Yes, I know they have Justin Jefferson. I'm just stating facts here, Wally. That is going to bring us to the end. Of hair of the dog. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little bit of buzz after getting the hair of the dog. Now we can finally start talking about the great fun games of week one, where we saw nine underdogs win straight up. You would have put a $10 parlay with all nine of those underdogs. You want to won a brisk $35,000. Why the hell are we not going to do that this week, Wally? I can finally retire get a nice place in Boca Raton with that 35K and really just live out the remaining of my life, which would probably be a week because I'll die of starvation. But the first NFL game that we had to start the season, the Dallas Cowboys take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which we got to see a vintage Tom Brady come out to play week one. Dak coming out 403 yards, three touchdowns and an interception and throwing for 58 attempts. Tom Brady even threw 50 times in this game. Cowboys, 
hit a field goal, take the lead, but gave way too much time to Tommy Brady, who then goes down, drives his team there, gets him in field goal position to win the game, and that Bucks offense is looking scary. Defense had some question marks, but maybe that's more or less of Dak is going to really take that progressive step and up into the elite status this year. And Jordan Whitehead was out too. This is a very good Buccaneers team that was a man short in the secondary. I think that this was more of what the Cowboys have improved upon in this last year. I know the defense wasn't great, and we have concerns that Micah Parsons didn't necessarily look as good on Thursday as we would have liked to have hoped. But that's part of the team you're playing too. Tampa Bay, man, that offense looks outstanding. Antonio Brown looks like the Antonio Brown of old. Five catches, 121 yards, I want to say. A touchdown as well. Buccaneers offense is going to score pretty much in anybody they play this year. They're that fundamentally sound, and there just isn't taking away that many superstars on a team like this. But if you're a Cowboys fan, I'd be highly encouraged about what your offense can do against a very good Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. I think that this made me feel more comfortable with my NFC East Cowboys winning the division pick. But we'll get to see a little bit more this week if this is going to be a team that has an improved defense because we really don't know that much coming out of a banner night in Tampa Bay. But if I am a Cowboys fan, I would be very encouraged about this game. There's no moral victories in the NFL with a loss, but it certainly feels like this is as close to a moral victory as you get. All they have are moral victories. They don't have too many important victories over the past 30 years. That's all they're holding on to, Wally. Yeah, I think this year at least they get to hang up a banner for their division anyways, because I think that's about as high as their ceiling goes, which I think is similar to what we can say about the Buffalo Bills. They came in last week as a a 6.5-point favorite against Pittsburgh Steelers. Look good early. They have a big kickoff return, jump up in the lead. But after about the halftime whistle, the Steelers completely controlled the pace of this game. Their defense looks like not only the best defense in the NFL, but a defense that is good enough to carry this team to a playoff spot. The offense looked bad. PFF graded Big Ben as the worst quarterback that played on Sunday. But they still got it done. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you have 248 total offensive yards or not. If you can get a win at a place like Orchard Park, it tells you that you're a team that can at least compete with anyone on any given Sunday. I don't think they're good enough to win this division, but I think they're more than good enough to get at least into the playoff mix in December. Buffalo, though, I'll ask you this. Is this something that they need to be concerned about, that the offense came out and looked so pedestrian? Or is this more of a, they played the best defense in the NFL, they'll respond and look very good, and they'll be back to normal come next Sunday? I expect the Buffalo Bills to be right back to normal come Sunday, because let's not forget this Pittsburgh Steelers defense is still elite. They got T.J. Watt, they signed Melvin Gordon, who he was an impact player. No, if you look at a stat sheet, it's not insane. But you go and look at the, the game, which I actually was watching right before this. They had the replay. Dude's in on so many plays. He Sure, he only had one solo tackle. He didn't have any sacks. He had a tackle for loss. But having that veteran presence on that team has definitely shown Minka Fitzpatrick leaving that secondary. Josh Allen, here we go again. Throwing for 51 attempts, only 270 yards and one touchdown, and adding 44 rushing yards. 
it's a good Pittsburgh Steelers defense. And now something that I've kind of prefaced leading up into the season is that defense for the Buffalo Bills. If we can't stop a quarterback who goes 18 for 32 with 188 yards and a 28.5 QBR rating, what the hell are you doing? Najee Harris couldn't get shit started. He had 45 yards on 16 carries. That's less than three yards per average. No one on the Pittsburgh roster had more than 52 yards in that wide receiver room. No one had a longer play in the receiving room, longer than 24 yards. That I, It's a very, very embarrassing loss. Again, that Steelers defense is real. It's going to be a top five. It could potentially a top three defense. Maybe there should be question marks for that offensive line there for the Buffalo Bills. Because they're, again, Melvin Gordon, TJ Watt, they were in that backfield early and often. I think the Bills can put this game behind them, and they can. that's just a team that's going to grow throughout the year. I see a lot of overreactions about maybe we're too, maybe Josh Allen's year last year was just kind of one of those one-offs. I don't think it is. I'm a huge believer in teams starting slow, then getting hot, and almost being unstoppable. I know the Chiefs are kind of ruining that for us. I think the Bill, I throw the Bills in that mix. I don't think it's too much to worry. I think that the script will be flipped here in a couple months, and we'll just be dogging the Steelers because they're on their downfall. No one wants to remember the Titans game that they had this past Sunday because, my God, Arizona came in and ran all over them. That was such a bad joke. That was such a bad joke. I don't care. I'm not not here to be a comedic genius. I'm here to lose people money and have a good time listening. And I guarantee you some people – I'm going to have people text me. You know what? I don't care what Wally says. That was a great, horrible joke. You'll see. But before I was brutally interrupted – the Arizona Cardinals going to Nashville, smack around the Tennessee Titans, whose offense, who we thought was going to be a powerhouse, putting less than 250 yards up. Julio Jones, 3 for 29. Uh, like you said earlier, I think Kyle Pitts is duplicating Julio's offense right there. So there's nothing to worry about there in Atlanta. A.J. Brown, 4 for 49 with one touchdown. King Henry held to 58 yards, 3.4 average on 17 carries. Kyler was playing out of his mind. D-hop, Christian Kirk. Even getting a couple touchdowns. Are you more surprised about the lethargic opener for the Tennessee Titans or Arizona coming out hot? Man, I don't know which surprised me more because obviously wrong on both of them, or at least it looks like that early on. I thought the Cardinals were going to be a nine-ish win team this year, that their offense was going to struggle, similar to what Baltimore's, they expected Kyler Murray to take the next step as a passer, and it wasn't going to happen. I look very wrong right now, on that front at least. He had four touchdown passes, looked tremendous on Sunday. DeAndre Hopkins, also the greatest wide receiver alive right now, and I don't think there's a question about that. But as for the Titans, I thought that this was going to be a division-winning team, and lucky for them, the Colts looked almost as bad as they looked. But having Julio Jones only have three catches for 29 yards, I was stunned by that. I expected him to immediately step in with A.J. Brown, and put up big numbers. And that doesn't mean that that can't happen. This is just one game. And, and we do have, especially here in the United States, we have a very quick trigger to be overcritical of our teams or even teams that we just watch after one game. And I'm doing that right now. So I'm going to try to dial it back. I think the Titans are still more than talented enough offensively to win this division, but they need to get back to what they do best, get Derrick Henry to ball, Get leads early and wear down teams. They fell behind early in this game, and the Cardinals just 
took it to him. I'm giving this more of a Cardinals did this to the Titans than the Titans rolled over and lost kind of a, a way I'm viewing this. And if that's the case, the NFC West is going to be very, very good. Well, we know how hot and cold this Arizona team can be. So coming out hot, I'm not really surprised and kind of take that side. I'm just waiting for that coldness. With those veteran additions to that locker room, maybe that's going to cut out some of that hot and cold aspect of how the team was playing last year. Now, do you trust Arizona after me saying that kind of refreshing everyone's memory? Are you going to trust Arizona any more than you did last year after this game? Yeah, absolutely. I think the defense showed something that we didn't see at all last year. And you did bring in guys like J.J. Watt, and I was critical of letting guys like Patrick Peterson and Hassan Reddick go. The defense answered the bell yesterday, and if they're able to hold teams like Tennessee to 13, I mean, they can beat almost anybody on any given Sunday. If the defense has even got a pulse, I mean, the wide receiving room down there in Arizona, it looks good. A.J. Green didn't even have a good day. We'll see if that's going to be something that we can kind of come to expect from him or if this was just a bad opening game for him. But, yeah, I I do think that this is much more of a threat out of Arizona than we've seen in years past. But talking about defense, the Washington football team and the L.A. Chargers – matched up in what we would imagine being one of the lower scoring games of the week. Weren't that disappointed. This was a game that we got to see. Unfortunately, Ryan Fitzpatrick goes out early with a hip injury. Looks like he is going to miss the better part of half of a year. Six to eight weeks is the preliminary diagnosis. Taylor Henneke does come in though. Efficient 11 of 15, but only for 112 yards and a touchdown. Offense was very underwhelming in Washington, and I think that's going to be the Achilles heel for this team all year long. Only 133 passing yards total to add to the 259 total yards this team had. They even won the turnover battle in this game, and you still lose this game by four at home. What does Washington have to do? Where are they going to have to find the offensive points, especially with Curtis Samuel being out, to realistically upend Dallas and perhaps Philadelphia and NFC East. And you said it right there. Curtis Samuel being out is is huge. And if you guys don't know this, he's been dealing with a groin injury all offseason. It was known when he, when he was signed. They thought it was going to be better by the time week one rolled around. Ends up he's being placed on IR. So he's not even eligible to come back until after three. He has to spend at least three weeks on the IR. Now that's going to be a huge piece for that offense. You know, you have Logan Thomas there, I think, is you know a stud at that tight end position I'd argue top 10 in the league right now scary Terry he, he can't do it all in himself you're going to rely on Adam Humphreys maybe Deami Brown the rookie that they got in the third round that they are very high on but just didn't make that leap only one reception for negative two yards their leading receiver had 62 yards on four receptions and one of those was a 30 34 yard gorgeous snag falling back over the shoulder falls right into his lap but the thing with Washington is that has been their Achilles heel to your point these past couple years with your boy Dwayne kind of going back with Alex Smith. You got Kyle Allen in that locker room, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I like Taylor Heineke at this quarterback position. It brings a different energy to that team. And you could tell right in that playoff game last year that, that they lost to Tampa Bay. That team is behind them, led by Chase Young, who is the face of that defense and borderline the franchise at this point. I like Taylor Heineke. He's not going to blow you away with any of his talents. But a quarterback that they need, 
a guy that that will go 11 for 15 in a short game, maybe a 18 of 25 for 200 yards, a touchdown or two, but not turning the ball over. A guy who's ready to put it on the line, which you saw last year in the around January, or I guess this past January, I should say. I like Heineke and kind of the mindset I think Washington should have is, yeah, we have Ryan Fitzmagic. He's a seasoned vet. He loves turning the ball over and you'll and you'll help your offense. Will he really? Are you guys really in that worse of a spot with Taylor Heineke at quarterback? I truly don't think so. I do. I think that Taylor Heineke, if anything, I would prefer to have the young guy in there. You already know what you have in Fitzmagic. It's not like you're more of a Super Bowl contender with him than with someone else. So, yeah, I would take Heineke. And I also want to just nip this in the bud. Cam Newton is not coming. Cam Newton is not a blimp on Ron Rivera's radar. That's why he brought in Kyle Allen. I know we've kind of reiterated this over the past couple episodes that obviously Cam Newton not being vaccinated. Ron Rivera, a cancer survivor. He's very hard on vaccinated players, which Washington is one of the lower vaccinated teams in the NFL. And he had his chance to bring Cam Newton. He's not going to bring him in now. I'd like Taylor Heineke to reiterate that. We're going to continue moving on. We're let Russ Cook making a comeback, maybe a little bit. Go to Indianapolis, takes away a win, 28-16, and Carson Wentz debut with his new team in the Indianapolis Colts. Russ, 18 of 23, 254 yards, nothing crazy. Oh, wait, there's a little smidge on my – oh, and four touchdowns. Lockett with four receptions, 100 yards, two tutties. DK with four, 60, and one touchdown. The main concern that we had talked about is the lack of wide receivers or weaponry that Carson Wentz has. Leading wide receiver for Carson Wentz, Zach Pascal, four receptions, 43 yards, two touchdowns. The leading receivers on their team were both Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Himes with six receptions, JT with 60, Naheem Himes with 48, zero touchdowns. We know their running game can be good. We know their offensive line is good. Is this raising red flags that your two leading receivers were running backs? Yeah, this should raise a ton of red flags. This is a Carson Wentz now that we've seen since he came back after that Super Bowl year in Philadelphia. He has not wowed us very much. Without the wide receivers there in Indianapolis, without that production, I don't know where we're going to find the wins. This is a team that was even struggling to run the ball on Sunday because they had no respect for the passing game. Don't forget this Seahawks team. Yeah, you have Jamal Adams, who is a very nice addition in the running defense. But beyond that, this Seahawks defense isn't LOB anymore. They struggled, man, for a while. They've been struggling realistically since LOB disappeared. And they still came out and realistically dominated on the road and stole a game. Not like the offense needed it to be stolen, but the defense wasn't going to let this ever become a question in-game who was going to win. I'd be fired up for my Seahawks fan. But all of a sudden, the AFC South, man, there doesn't feel like there's a viable team coming out of there. Again, I don't want to overreact one week, but it doesn't feel like it. The glaring thing that stuck out to me is, you know, this game, if you, if you go to yardage, if you're just going to, you know, people who don't really give a shit about the game, they just want to look at the stats. I mean, 381 to 336 for yardage, right? Total drives, 11 for Indy, 10 for Seattle. Both defenses got three sacks, 140 rushing for Seattle, 113 rushing for Indianapolis, nothing crazy. This is what sticks out to me here. 
You had India going 5 of 13 in the third down. That's 38%. 0-3 for fourth down. You cannot have that in this league. I'm not ready to say that the Seattle Seahawks is taking a leap defensively as they were last year. But to your point, how are you not trying to take advantage of that secondary? I don't care who you I don't care who you have out there as your wide receivers. You know that that is their weak point with Jamal Adams back there. Why not go after it? Because I was a top five rushing defense at the end of last year. Why are you going to try to go in a strong suit instead of focusing on their weak points? And unfortunately, we have to talk about this game where the Green Bay Packers in Jacksonville take probably the fattest L. I haven't even seen Snoop Dogg smoke this fat of an L before. To the New Orleans Saints. Jameis Winston's first game as a starting quarterback in over a year. The man throws five touchdowns. Didn't look bad. That Green Bay Packers defense looked like dog shit. That whole team looked like dog shit. I want to get your insight before I really just start laying the pipe right now. I'll be quick because I don't want to take away your shine from your game. But the Packers completely abandoned the run in this game. They at no point tried to establish a running game. A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones had four and five carries respectively. Only 28 yards between the two. That's not going to get it done against anybody, especially against a team that this Saints team, I was so wrong about them. Defense still looks very, very challenging to play against. And Jameis Winston didn't really wow you. Yeah, you see the five touchdowns. It was the fewest yards thrown in a game where a starting quarterback had five touchdowns in NFL history. It was a bit of an anomaly. So I'm not going to crown him, but the fact that he was willing to dink and dunk and not turn it over in a weird way, I think is even more exciting than had you seen a Jameis Winston throw for 400 yards, three touchdowns, and two picks. It shows that he's learning that you can't live and die in every play. But please, I'll let you talk about your Packers now. Not a lot of good that you can really pin on this game as a Packer fan. Yeah, really open and shut case here, uh, if, I, if I say so myself, Wally. Yeah, Jameis Winston, the first half, there's nothing special the Saints did in the first half. They went up 17-0. Green Bay had two drives. They just couldn't get it started. The New Orleans Saints completely dominated the time of possession here in the game. About 34 and a half minutes to Green Bay's 25. They were never able to get them going. And what I've said before, at least if it's, I know Wally's heard it, if it's either on mic or off mic, if you give Aaron Rodgers pressure, he crumbles and shuts down. You have two rookies starting in your offensive line with David Bakhtiari out, the best left tackle in football. And that defense exploited that. And I have to go on record. I'm completely putting my foot in my mouth. I was kind of dogging the New Orleans Saints secondary. It looks like they're kind of scrounging, you know, for some players with all these trades that they were making, and they just completely dominated the wide receivers. Devontae Adams with five receptions for 56 yards. That is the only receiver or player on the team that had more than three receptions. Embarrassing. The Packers completely crumbled. They got hit in the mouth. They went back into the doghouse, shivering in the corner, waiting for it to pass over. And Colin Coward and Nick Wright kind of said it best. Aaron Rodgers is that guy. When he gets hit in the mouth, he goes, oh, we'll get him next week. We're in the middle of the second quarter right now, Aaron. What do you mean next week? We still have a game right now. He's just one of those guys. Of course, all these things are circulating to this offseason drama. Contribute to the performance of the opening day. All I have to say is it's Aaron Rodgers. Give him time. With the hot starts that Green Bay has had the past two or three years, people seem to forget this is how Green Bay starts. They start off slow. 
Granted, they don't start off getting their ass whooped by 35 and the largest loss in Aaron Rodgers' career. They typically start off slow. They'll get it together here by week four, week five, week six, and they just start exploding and the offense lifts up. But this is absolutely embarrassing. That Florida weather absolutely drained the Green Bay Packers. Time of possession in the first half completely drained the defense. Couldn't keep them off the field. The Saints were converting third downs. They were converting fourth downs. I mean, hell, they were 50% from third down, 5 of 10, and Green Bay was 1 of 10. New Orleans was 2 for 2 on fourth down. Yeah, Green Bay was 2 for 3. Awesome. You lost by 35. I don't give a shit. I don't really feel too confident about the Lions because they ended that game really strong. I'm honestly kind of kind of shaking in my boots here. I have an idea. It just popped in my head. Let me know what you think about this for an idea. I almost want us to have like like it's a segment called like self-aware Colin Coward or something like that where I give myself an outlandish take, but I fully appreciate and understand how ridiculous it sounds. The reason I was saying that is because I literally want to come out right now and just say, self-aware Colin Coward take, I kind of want my quarterback to be more upset when you're getting killed than having Aaron Rodgers, eh, well, we'll get him next week, because you never really had that, that competitive fire that you see sometimes with the Tom Brady's and Peyton Manning's. But that's just something to keep in your head. It sounds ridiculous, but that's like an idea. I heard what actually happened is right after they, on the plane ride back, Aaron just whipped out his nice guitar, little ukulele on the side. Said, Guys, gather around. I have this very quaint song, very zen song that we can listen to that's really going to bring us closer together. And then he just starts playing Closing Time. That's just a report I heard. By the way, why the hell has this guy got a man bun? Well, you think you can just rock a man bone, whatever? People like me have to work for this. And you, this guy's pulling it off flawlessly. Yeah, he's a guy that I feel like you got to see with Tom Brady, too. He's almost getting that teenage growth and life-changing styles all the time. You got to see the long hair. Then they go short again. Now he's got man bun. We've seen him change girlfriends left and right. Whether that be Danica Patrick, whether it be Shalene Woodley, whether it be the one girl that just married somebody in the Bachelor universe. I don't care. He just is all over the place. And that was my ridiculous. And we were talking about that. I don't even know if I can go back and edit it because I was talking so freely. So they might just get to hear us see what my worthless brain thinks on a normal day. But that was my self-aware, terrible Colin Coward take on Aaron Rodgers. I think that, what what's her name? Shaheel Woodley? Something Woodley. I don't know. It's I don't give a yeah. shit. She's a succubus. I've never seen Aaron so douchey and act like such a pussy at the same time. He was cool when he was dating Olivia Munn. He was all right when he was dating Danica Patrick. And now he's just like, yeah, I want to go to Hawaii, smoke like a fat fucking doobie, play guitar. And like, I might grow my hair out and also like stop world hunger. Well, now that he's hanging out with Miles Teller, I think it says all you need to know about the guy. Talk about the biggest loser in all of Hollywood. I like Miles Teller War Dogs. That's really all I got for him. I like the movies. I like him as an actor. He's just a loser. Like I, anytime I hear people talk about him, the way he treats people on set, the way that he just outwardly has this air of arrogance, it, no offense to you, it fits that Aaron Rodgers would be this guy's friend. Oh, see, now I didn't know that. Now I might be, I might be, flipping, I might be flipping sides on this one. Over, under... Four and a half years, Aaron Rodgers will be in the Church of Scientology. Oh my gosh. See, it won't happen until he needs to get his name back into the 
what public eye a little bit. So I, I might go over. I might go over because he might. It'll be like right around when he's coming up to the Hall of Fame votes. Like, hey, Aaron, what have you been doing the last five years? Oh yeah, by the way, I'm in Scientology now. Yeah, Tom Cruise is my best friend. I actually have a. I'm an extra in the Top Gun Two, which I'm pretty pumped about. That's how Aaron's going to respond. He's the type of guy that he's going to be on that first Elon Musk like colony in Mars, just for no reason other than hey, I'm Aaron Rodgers and I wanted to do it. Aaron Rodgers wears his girlfriend's underwear and closes the fridge door with his hips. I really don't have too much to add to that. That's a perfect way to end that. The Miami Dolphins take a win in Foxborough with Mac Jones having his debut as the rookie quarterback. Two of being two, a 16 to 27, 202 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Mac Jones coming out with a 74% completion percentage, 281 yards, and one touchdown. And of course, if you watch the game, Damon Harris having a costly fumble at the end of the game to put them in the scoring position to take the win. That was one of four fumbles on the game and one of two lost. Despite New England winning the time of possession by essentially 37 to 23, Miami still comes out on top and it has a big old circle has to be around those fumbles lost. Are we ready to crown Mac as better than Tua right now? And how did you think of Mac's debut? This was a game that I took two things out of it when I left. And there it is again. One of the things I took away from this is that Miami is going to be held back by Tua in this offense. The second thing is that New England's not quite ready to be that team that's... They haven't learned how to be a good team again. It's been a few years. Tom Brady's gone. You can kind of feel that this offense almost was waiting for a mistake to happen all day. Defense is going to be good. We liked that. We talked about it. They got guys back from losing them to COVID last year. They're better than people thought. And if Buffalo continues to struggle here for the first few weeks of the season, I think New England has a chance to get into this race in the AFC East. Miami, on the other hand, yeah, I know they won this game. They should be the one I'm talking about being a player in the AFC East. I just don't buy it. They're kind of like a poor man's version of the Pittsburgh Steelers right now where their defense is solid. They're not nearly as good as what the Steelers' defense is. It's good enough to overcome some of that offensive deficiencies, but not nearly enough to do what the Steelers' team is, and that's make them a 10- or 11-win team. If anything, I came out of this thinking that the Dolphins are a quarterback away again. I don't know how to say it nicely. I feel bad saying give up on Tua this early, but... I'll give him maybe a few more weeks with Will Fuller coming back from suspension. But until then, man, I don't know. I This was a game that neither one of these teams should be making any real noise come December. And you took a thought right out of my head. You have Will Fuller coming back after serving his last game of a four, I want to say four or six game suspension last year for a PED. It was six while he just confirmed it here with me. And there's a lot of pressure on Tua now. There's no excuse. You have a decent offensive line. You have a safety valve in Mike Gusecki as your tight end. You have Miles Gassens coming out of the backfield. Now you're going to have Jalen Waddell, Will Fuller, and Devontae Parker had a pretty solid game for him. You have the tools around you. You need to get it done to a... I say the leash is a little bit longer than a few weeks, only because who else are you going to put in there? They're all you got. Unless they actually get the Deshaun Watson deal done, this is their guy for the year. You just said it, though. 
if they're trying to talk to Deshaun Watson for a potential trade, they're obviously not married to Tua. They're flirting with people on, what, Hinge and on whatever swipe left, swipe right quarterback like right now. It doesn't reinforce that confidence in a, in a young quarterback. They're not married. They're engaged. They haven't officially walked down the aisle yet, so they're just you know doing a little hand stuff to see what else is out there to get the confidence up. I, I'm still wanted. I, I'm still getting looked at. I still got it. Brian Flores almost feels like he's that boyfriend girlfriend in high school that goes on like a long trip with the family or goes on spring break, and they're like, it's the hundred miles rule or whatever they call it. If you're outside of a certain area, you're allowed to basically hook up with someone because it doesn't count. That's the way it sounds right now, where he's just like, ha, 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 dude, don't worry about it. Nothing's going to happen unless it happens. Like, that's the way it feels. And maybe, and I do think that they will be stuck with Tua this year. I don't think that they're going to get an option like Deshaun Watson. There's too much legal tape to go into that. But for what it's worth, I do think that Miami's growing impatient with the tool project. I do not blame them. And let's keep on the impatient trend. The Cleveland Browns and their fan base are impatient. They want all the wins now. They've waited long enough. They're waiting for the wins. Unfortunately, caught a loss to Kansas City. Big surprises, Kansas City. Everyone saw this coming. Again, it's Kansas City. They reminded us how dangerous they are, how in a flash in a blink of an eye on command they can rip off a 70 plus yard touchdown it is scary the browns played a hell of a game only to be shadowed by the punter fucking up the snap and giving kansas city great field position all of my browns fans are well they're gonna score anyway okay what if pat mahomes fucks his foot up again and then he's out and then you have their backup quarterback in that drive you never know we both said we hate the moral victory i hate saying moral victories This is a good loss, I should say, for this Cleveland Browns team. And like we were alluding to here last week, you want to lose this game. Who the hell wants to play Kansas City after beating them? No one wants to do that. I think the Browns look great. Kareem Hunt, Chubb combined for 26 touches, 162 with three touchdowns. Baker Mayfield, 21 of 28, 321 yards, but having the game-sealing interception, which... Depending who you're asking, why the hell did he throw it? He's going to throw it. He went to go step up. He got stepped on. Everything fucked up. Domino effect turns into an interception. I thought Baker was great. I thought you said it great on our Twitter. I cannot wait for the Baker hate. I thought he, I thought he played well here. He did exactly what we expect him to do. Not turn the ball over. Unfortunately, he does it at the end. Doesn't score any touchdowns, but he's the conductor of that offensive train that they have in Cleveland. First things first, I would argue, though, that this Browns fandom, while they have been patient for so long, the reason they are impatient now is because they know how close they finally are. People our age have never seen in their lifetime a Browns team that realistically had expectations like this. And yeah, I understand what you're saying in terms of you don't want to face a Chiefs team in a postseason that maybe you already beat once in a year. You know the Browns fans wanted this win either way. And the way they played this game, they deserved a win. The Browns played a flawless game with the exception of that fumble and the Baker turnover at the end. And I think that's what's frustrating and makes you a little nervous about this because it felt like you did everything right and you still come up a little short. 
it shows how scary that Chiefs team is. I mean, this was a game that at the end of the first half, the Browns have 22 points on four drives. They're up two possessions. You couldn't be more excited going in the half. And they still played a great game offensively. Again, you just have to hold on to the ball, eliminate those costly turnovers. If Baker doesn't throw a pick there on that final drive, you cannot convince me that they are not walking down the field and scoring. That offense was moving the ball at will. They're about as well-coached of an offensive unit as you can find in the league right now. And it looks like you also avoided a major issue with Jedrick Wills. From all accounts and purposes, it sounds like he will be back this year. In the way he went down on non-contact, you had a little bit of fear for a little while, and he is a very, very important piece to that line. One of the better young tackles in the game. I'm trying to find negatives to, to say really about this Browns team, and the only thing I can think of is right now is that you got to get more pass rush against a team like the Chiefs. Miles Garrett has to be a little bit better than he was on Sunday. A lot of times he had time to just sit back there and dissect the defense. And even on that 70-yard touchdown that everybody wanted to treat like it was a great throw by, by Patrick Mahomes, what it realistically was is that he had time. That secondary eventually ran out of the ability to cover guys like Tyreek Hill down the field. And then he throws it so far behind Tyreek Hill on a seemingly a jump ball that is completed and he scores a touchdown. If you're a Browns fan, call this a major victory. Feel really good about yourself. And what? I mean, you're not going to have Odell back against the Houston Texans, but who cares? You're going to beat them by 180. Don't panic. This was about as good of a situation, about as good of an outcome as you could hope for, barring a win. You know, we haven't even touched on the Chiefs here, which do we really need to? Tyree Kill, 11 receptions, 197 yards, one touchdown. Travis Kelsey with six receptions, 76, two touchdowns. This team is going to be scary. We're going to start hating them here towards the end of the year. I think now we're finally, I think the NFL world's finally going to really, really start hating this. But I like this. And quite frankly, I have $10 on the Kansas City Chiefs going 20-0 winning the Super Bowl. So for them to lose in the first game, I would have ripped my heart out. So now we, now we get the bet keep going on. It's going to keep going here. Yeah, I'm almost jealous of you people that haven't hated this team up to this point. I know the Cleveland Browns fans also understand what I'm talking about. But, man, having to play this Kansas City Chiefs fan base twice a year my entire life, they're as obnoxious as it comes. And now that there is success, it's infuriating because there's nothing I can say and there's no way to argue back. I mean, they are the best team in the league right now. And I think they're going to come out of the AFC again. We'll see once we get closer to the to the Super Bowl. But I will say this. My last thought on this game is that we said going into this season, there were only a couple teams that were feasible matchup problems for the Chiefs. This Browns team's it. They're scoring it well if they can get rid of the turnovers. I kind of like their odds in a game in, what, the second to last weekend of January. I, I feel good about it. Now another team that got to see a potential Super Bowl quality product step on the field this last week in the opener of SoFi Stadium nonetheless. Sean McVay and Matt Stafford's Los Angeles Rams cruise to a win on Sunday night against the Chicago Bears. You have to wonder how long Andy Dalton realistically can be the guy in Chicago. He did not look up to the job. Now to be fair to Andy Dalton, that offensive line is not very good. But the Rams, man, they look legit. 
that defense is going to be a problem. And if Matthew Stafford can continue to do what he's done for a long time, and I actually want to say something because it just hit me as I was saying that, Chris Collinsworth saying, I didn't realize Matthew Stafford was this good. I didn't watch a lot of Detroit games. Felt like such an unnecessary and across-the-bow shot at Detroit fans who have been trying to tell everybody forever that Matthew Stafford is the truth. And now you finally get to hear it after he's gone. A lot of small market teams, I get to see it with the Pirates. I get to see it from other what sports around the area. That is infuriating to hear. And I was kind of pissed off for Lions fans he said that. But when you watch this, you had to feel even a little bit better after that terrible day for the Packers that the Bears, that the Vikings, that the Lions all lost in the fashion that they did. As long as they're losing, I'm happy. I love, love watching the Bears get spanked. First off, shout out to my boy Kyle Butson. I know you guys were kind of going at it on, uh, or not going at it, but it's a little back and forth there on Twitter. Absolutely ridiculous, Chris Collinsworth. You're a professional broadcaster. Your job is to literally watch and study and be prepared for NFL games. You're going to tell me that you have never had a Sunday night game? I know you have because they played the Packers for the division a couple times over the past few years. How are you going to say Matt Stafford's not that good? There's always cameras on him because of Calvin Johnson being It was blasphemy, and I hate Chris Collinsworth, and just that kind of disrespect even just made made me hate him more. Why the fuck are you on my TV screen, you big, tall, fucking walking labia? LA Rams are looking good. Matt Stafford is looking dangerous, only throwing 26 passes, completing 20 of them for 320-plus yards and three touchdowns. Cooper Cup seems like his favorite target. Seven receptions for 108 yards and a touchdown. They got Henderson rushing it 16 times for 70 and a touchdown as well. Shout out to your boy, Justin Fields, getting on the field for his first NFL plays and getting a three-yard touchdown, which was also the last time that the Bears scored in that game. Why would you not want to move on from Andy Dalton? I understand. You paid him a little bit in the offseason. Justin Fields kind of fell to you in the lap even though you traded up. Kind of like the philosophy we were talking about here with Washington, why not bring in the younger quarterback? You lost to the Rams. You're going to have a difficult season playing the rest of the NFC West, the AFC North. And we're not even talking about playing the Packers twice. Maybe the Vikings are going to give you the run for your money. Just get Andy Dalton out of there. He's a hell of a backup quarterback, which is what he really is in the NFL, and get Justin Fields in there. What's the worst that's going to happen? He ends up setting the league on fire for a little bit with that shitty offensive line. Worst case scenario, he's got to run for his life like most rookie quarterbacks have to do. What's up, Zach Wilson? Just get the kid in there. Rams are looking dangerous. That defense is looking scary. Super Bowl contender. But like you said, that's a conversation here in a couple months because that division is absolutely stacked. All of them winning. The Rams winning the last winning team in that division here on Sunday night, all 1-0, that's going to be so entertaining. And I love that Matt Stafford is finally on that stage so everyone can respect him. And the only reason I really like him is because I knew he was never going to do anything against the Green Bay Packers. So I like him out of the division, and I like to watch him shine outside of it too. And lastly, you know we had to save the best for last. I had nothing good to say about my team, and I know Wally has a bunch to say about his team because the Vegas Raiders – Opening up the stadium with fans in it. First off, God, that looks fucking gorgeous. Second off, man, do we need to go to that stadium yesterday 
to go to a game. Third, taking a huge win against the Baltimore Ravens with, we know their injury history, but we know how high of a pedestal they are set on, the Baltimore Ravens, led by Lamar Jackson, and that defense that just never stops, never quits, has been dangerous for the past 20 years with and without Ray Lewis. Darren Waller's looking good, which also helped me win my fantasy league. 3-0 this week, no big deal. I'm not some guru. I just have a podcast, and I like to drink beer. I love the Raiders plus four. We, I think, obviously, we both took it. I loved it. They opened up the new stadium on Monday night with the victory. John Gruden's hyped. He's died, came back to life, died, came back to life. He feels like a cat because he has so many lives. How did you enjoy it on Monday, bud? Wow. I don't even know what to say, man. It was it was crazy because we went down 14 nothing early in this game. And people won't believe me because I don't have – I actually do. Uh, my group friends from, from Walsh Jesuit up in Northeast Ohio, we have a group of me, and we talk to each other on there. And after we fell down 14 nothing, I weirdly felt more confident in winning the game than when we entered the game. And the reason I say that is – The defense actually looked halfway decent. The Ravens, when they were forced to throw the ball, I wasn't really afraid of them against us. Now, with that being said, I knew that the Raiders' offense was going to settle in. Derek Carr is a good quarterback, regardless of what people want to tell you on Twitter, what the media wants to tell you. The Raiders are going to be at least a very difficult game this year for people to play something that we wouldn't be able to say in years past because of that failing defense. But here's the issue that we're hearing more about as the days are going by. Gerald McCoy's out for the year. All of a sudden, Yannick Ngakwe's hurt. You are going to lose that pass rush that you just saw with your own eyes, how important it can be for this Raiders team. Man, I feel like I don't even know where to start just because there is so much I wanted to say. But to have that team be able to come back the way they have has me encouraged to turn it over at the one-yard line in overtime like they have and to have the mental fortitude to still force a turnover and to see that offense overcome another coaching blunder by John Gruden. Man, I'm really excited, and I really do think that this could be a different Raiders team this year if the defense can stay at that pace they're at and Max Crosby looks as good as I think that he did on Sunday, or on Monday, excuse me. I'm very, very excited. And I almost got to temper my expectations because we're going to talk about it here in a second. But I think they're going to get to 2-0 this weekend. Max Crosby's looking amazing. He's ready to make that third, fourth-year leap. I think that he can be a problem. And, man, imagine if Khalil Mack was still there. If he was still there, A and B, if Chicago bit on the trade that the Vegas Raiders were trying to propose back in March. That'd be really fun. Not as fun as the segment we finally have. Gambling. Our lines, all 16 games, got the Thursday night, all the 14 games on Sunday, and of course your Monday night game, which is the Detroit Lions visiting my Green Bay Packers. We're going to start it off here with the Thursday night game where the Washington football team are three-point favorites to the visiting New York Giants. I'm going to take the Washington football team here. There's nothing that the New York Giants did offensively that's going to give me any confidence to back them in this game. They're playing a better pass rush. They're playing arguably right up their secondary, maybe give the nod to Washington. 
than they did last week in the Denver Broncos. Offensively, they're expecting Saquon is right there on that fence of maybe not being able to play. I know that Evan Ingram with a calf injury, their guard Shane Lemieux with a knee injury, have been already been ruled out for this game. And again, Saquon being on that fence, that doesn't give me any confidence. I think Taylor Heineke, with getting the first team reps, even on a short week, can lead this team because they are the home team. We always see the favoritism towards the home team on these shorter, shorter week Thursday night games. I'm going the Washington football team minus three. Washington does it win this game. They do cover. I think that this all goes back to, again, that Giants offensive line. When you have to go against front sevens like this, like you were previously mentioning, you're going to have a hard time. I know Taylor Heineke didn't look great on Sunday. He was efficient, didn't turn the ball over, but that's all he's going to have to do against the New York Giants team, especially at home. I think they're going to win a game, something in the neighborhood of like a 21-17, 21-14 kind of game. I'm not very excited about what I saw from Washington offensively last week, but I think that they're more than talented enough to get it done, get three scores, and I think that might be all it takes. If you get the 20 points in this game, I think that's all you need. Washington wins, they cover there. Now the Las Vegas Raiders are five-and-a-half-point dogs traveling to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's defense obviously stole the show in Buffalo last week. They're going to be asked to do that again against a Raiders team that at least typically puts up a lot of yards, puts up a lot of points. It should be a good contrast of styles here. I already kind of teased it a minute ago telling you that I have the Raiders going to 2-0. I think they went out right again. They were four-and-a-half-point dogs last Monday night, got it done. I feel like the Raiders are built to beat a team like the Steelers. They're not necessarily all that talented defensively, but if you force them to throw underneath, I think that that's going to really play into the Raiders' hands. And I think they're an offense that is going to still be able to throw at least marginally well against the Steelers' defense. And I have the Raiders winning a game 24-21. to I'm not going to pick the Raiders to win outright, but I like the plus 5.5. You're riding that high beating a Ravens team that outside of the Chiefs and a couple other teams in the NFL feels like it's a lot of people feel like it is the most unstoppable offense or team in there with how strong their defense plays. I like the Vegas Raiders plus five going into Heinz Field here. Uh, their money line, I, I can't remember if you did uh, preface it. It's a, I have it at about plus 200 right now. There's still a lot of questions for me uh, on the offensive line for the Vegas Raiders. I know Ricky Incognito is still a little bit questionable with that calf injury that he is dealing with. It's not like your wide receivers blew me out of the water. Darren Waller was the main guy there, which is no surprise. That's who Derek Carr likes to go to. I, that secondary is going to raise a lot of questions. You shut Darren Waller down, I don't think that the Raiders could blossom on offense without having Dar- the ball go through Darren Waller. You got Josh Jacobs, who's very questionable. He's got the illness. He's got the injury. Is he going to play? He didn't practice today. And if he did, it was a little bit limited. You got Kenyon Drake right behind. But we're going to talk about the confidence part. Why would the Pittsburgh Steelers not have a confidence after beating a team in their home stadium with the fans back that they suffered against last year, that they caught a very big loss against? I think this is too many points for the Pittsburgh Steelers because offensively, to your point, even with your secondary who has the biggest question mark on your team, I just don't feel comfortable with Ben Roethlisberger exposing a defense like that at this point in his career. Can he? Yes, but... The dick and dunks is all he's got. Maybe Claypool or Juju will break that off and all of a sudden it's a touchdown and Ben Roethlisberger's stats go all the way up. I have no confidence in this offensive 
portion of the Steelers. I'm going with the plus five for the Vegas Raiders. Let's go, baby. Two and oh. It's gotta be one it's gotta be one of us, right? I gotta back you here a little bit. And you know I gotta back the Cincinnati Bengals who are visiting the Chicago Bears. The Bears are only a one and a half point favorite here. I know the line's been kind of fluctuating here throughout the week. I'm gonna go with Cincy plus one and a half with this one. I think that this is this is a perfect matchup. The defense looking to get their identity back against the Cincinnati Bengals offense, who feels like they're very confident. They got Jamar Chase into the offense. He's scoring a touchdown. Him and Joe Burrow look like they haven't missed a beat since they've been together in college. Still got T. Higgins on the outside. I like that offense against that Bears secondary in that defense. We'll see how the Bears front looks against the O-line of the Bengals and vice versa. Is Andy Dalton going to be able to play against the Cincinnati Bengals defense that isn't porous, isn't great, way better than what we've seen it. But maybe, it, ooh, ooh. See, maybe I'm jumping the gun. I didn't even put this in, I didn't even think about this. Andy playing his old team at his new home. I'm flipping the script. I'm going to go with the Bears as much as I hate it because for some reason, that aspect, that point of view in a game of you playing your old team always hit close to me. And I always feel like the correlation of of players that go through that always win against their former teams. I'm flipping the script live on the pod. I'm going with the Bears, unfortunately, minus one and a half. I respect the reason why you went with that, but there's no way. Cincinnati wins this game. They cover the one and a half. And if you can do the quick math, that means I'm picking them to be in sole possession of the AFC North. Something we never expected to say in this season. Or at least not a lot of us. The Bengals defense isn't necessarily going to be good this year, but they are much improved. And you got to see that against Minnesota this last week. Only had given up seven points late into the third quarter. And who knows what they would have done had Zach Taylor not actively tried to sabotage the Bengals from winning that game. The Bengals will win. The Bears will struggle again on offense. And it is at Soldier Field, which means you already know we're going to be getting the Boo Birds and the Justin Fields chance early and often in that game. Let's go to the other team in Ohio here. Cleveland's back at home, get their first home game of the year. They're hosting the Houston Texans, and they're 12.5-point favorites. I'll keep it short and sweet. Yes, the Browns do cover. Yes, the Browns win. The Texans are a very bad football team, and I think that the Browns are going to do something, I would say, 35-14 to 14 kind of, 35-17-ish kind of range. Win the game, win the game comfortably, and hopefully for them, can get Odell back the following week. I'm really, really not trying to bet this spread. After having a lot of PTSD from the high spreads last week that were nowhere close to being hit, I have to stray away. But, gun to my head, I'm going to take the Browns minus 12.5. The real bet I'm looking at is the over. I'm looking at that over of 49. The odds are at minus 110. I'm nailing that over all day. I can see the Browns getting up real quick. Like a 35-7, to 35-6 score. Houston gets some garbage time to be able to hit that late in the fourth. Maybe mid-round in the fourth, depending on how quick that game escalates for the Browns. I like the over at 49. That's what I'm sticking with. Next game that we have here on the slate, the Los Angeles Rams. Three and a half point favorites going to the Indianapolis Colts. I like the Rams minus three and a half here. I'm very confident in the Rams after having that great Sunday night season opener with, with Matt Stafford. Indy just didn't do enough 
for me against Russ. Russ barely did anything. Dude had, le- what, 264 yards, 250 yards? I'm just kind of spitballing here. Four touchdowns. Why would Matt Stafford not do the exact same thing to that defense? I think Indy will be a lot more competitive in this game than they were against Seattle. I just like the Rams minus three and a half. I'm going to ride that high because I can see the Rams just starting off very hot, maybe cooling down a little bit before the playoffs. So I'm going to ride this high with the Rams. It might just be my hate of Philadelphia that I kind of fall back and question Carson Wentz as often as I do. But until I can see him prove me wrong in Indianapolis, I don't think I'm going to be able to bet them in a bigger matchup like this when they play teams like the Houstons of the world. Sure, that's a different story. But L.A. is a legitimate Super Bowl threat. They could come out of the NFC, and I think they're going to win this game and win pretty convincingly. I'm a little worried about the AFC South after what I saw last week. I know that I said I wasn't going to overreact, but here I am overreacting. I don't know. I just I don't know who Indianapolis plans to throw the ball to. And without having T.Y. Hilton for, I want to say, the first half of the year, it's going to be all Zach Paschal. It's going to be all depending on this running game, hoping that guys like Paris Campbell can take another step forward. And truthfully, I just don't think it happens. Rams win. They cover easily. The Buffalo Bills are three-and-a-half-point favorites on the road at Miami at Hard Rock. I'm going to actually take the Dolphins in this game. I'm not only going to take them to cover, I'm going to take the Dolphins to win outright. I think that we're going to see, at least for the first part of the year, Buffalo have a little bit of growing pains as an offense. I know the Steelers' defense is unbelievable, but the lack of success I saw last week makes me a little worried, and I think we're going to at least see that continue as Miami has a very good defense in their own right. Miami wins, I think, a very similar score to what the Bills lost last week to the Steelers. Something in that neighborhood of like a 24-17, 24-20 kind of game. Another divisional game. This could be very huge to Miami. Not only going 2-0 to start the season, going 2-0 in the division. What we're predicting how close this can be, depending on the development of Mac Jones throughout the year, this can be very important. With that being said, Buffalo Bills coming off that tough loss. They have a divisional matchup where they can take advantage of splitting their record as well as splitting Miami and not letting them get that 2-0 lead in the division. I'm taking the Bills plus 3.5 on this one. It's a division game. One's coming off a loss. One's coming off a very nice win in Foxborough. But like I said, it's the, it's a division game. And if you guys listen and you know me, I cannot take anything that's above 3 in a game like this. I can see this game being a 24-21, a 30-27, a 34-31 type of game. And that hook, that little half point's going to save my ass. I'm going with the Buffalo Bills going down to Miami, covering that plus 3.5. We're going to keep it in the division with another divisional matchup. The New England Patriots visiting the New York Jets, where the Pats are going to be minus 5.5. I like the Patriots coming off here. I think the Jets are going to be competitive, and that hook of the .5 is really going to fuck us on this one. I'm kind of just going based off the five-point loss that they just had, but I like New England in this. Minus five and a half. Mac Jones, I feel like, got his confidence in the last game. Even though he didn't get the win, it wasn't his fault, so we know he has that confidence going into this against a defense that is worse than what he just faced. I think Mac Jones can blossom here. I think you know John New Smith is really going to get it going in this game. Hopefully they can get Hunter Henry back here in a couple weeks. Right now, 
I like the Patriots minus five and a half going into MetLife. I like the Patriots to win at MetLife. I don't like them to cover the spread. I do think that this Jets offense at least looked like they were figuring it out a little bit in the second half against Carolina. Defense certainly settled in. We mentioned last week on the preview show, the Jets started two rookie linebackers. They were both safeties in college, and those were their first NFL starts. And to go up against a guy like Christian McCaffrey, a dual threat that can catch the ball out of the backfield, and to see them improve throughout the game is very encouraging. And I think that you're going to see more of the same where the Jets do things that make you encouraged for what's coming for them. It won't necessarily be enough. I think you're going to have this be kind of a story all season. But Robert Salah is going to make this defense better just simply on his acumen alone, knowing where to put the guys. But once these guys start understanding the system in their own right too, you're going to see this Jets team compete and potentially beat some teams we didn't expect to see them beat. I don't think it happens quite yet, but they do cover this game. New England's going to win. Again, similar score to what I just mentioned in that Miami game, kind of a 24-20-ish range. It is within the 5.5, though, but Billy B and Mac Jones get their first win together. Now, the Philadelphia Eagles are 3.5-point home dogs against the San Francisco 49ers. I hate that I'm going to say this, Stephen. I hate that I'm going to say it. I'm not only picking Philadelphia to cover the spread. I have a feeling they're going to win this game outright. Based off what? Based off what? Because they blew the doors off Atlanta? Who the fuck are you? No, based on the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo is still the starting quarterback in San Francisco. And this is the time of year that we were expecting a few games that shouldn't necessarily be as close as they are because of the poor decision to have Jimmy Garoppolo starting quarterback. I think that the Eagles win this game. I think that they do enough on offense to get it done. With Raheem Mostert going out, too, with the torn ACL, we still haven't really figured out who that next man up is going to be in that backfield. I want it to be Trey Sermon. I want to believe he does well there. I don't know who it is, though. Yeah, they put up 41 against Detroit, but I want to see it against another opponent that isn't arguably the worst team in the league. In Philadelphia, they're far from being a, a defensive juggernaut in their own right right now. But they're good enough that I think they're going to stay in this game. And I just think they take. I just feel like they steal one here. That's all I can say is I feel like they steal one here. This is not my lock in our prop lock and drop here, but I feel like this is a lock. San Francisco minus three and a half. They almost blew it to the Detroit Lions. You know that their mentality and they're going to be so focused this week, led by Kyle Shanahan in that offense. Back to back trips to the Midwest and you know a little bit to the East Coast here. Philly looked great. Like we're saying, they were beating Atlanta. I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum here. Uh, than you. I like San Francisco minus three and a half. And with the opportunity of that dropping that half point and going to three, absolutely. When that Sunday comes, a lot of my real money is going to be on the San Francisco 49ers team to win that outright without a problem. One three and a half line to another. We got the New Orleans Saints minus three and a half going into the Carolina Panthers. Man, there's a lot of divisional matchups on this slate here early with the lines that we're looking at. Saw New Orleans here firsthand. Again, it's a divisional matchup, and I'm going to completely contradict myself to the fact that I just don't have enough confidence in picking Carolina quite yet. New Orleans minus three and a half. Personally, I would wait for this line to drop to three, so the absolute worst case scenario is a push in this game. I like the New Orleans Saints minus three and a half coming off a huge win against the Green Bay Packers team. That's only building confidence in that offensive locker room. 
a year removed from Drew Brees. A few months removed from Drew Brees, I should say. Yeah, I think we need to temper our expectations for what Jameis Winston in this offense is going to do. I think people are going to overreact to what we saw in Week 1. Now, with that being said, I do think they're good enough. They should beat Carolina by 3.5. So I do have them winning and covering. But I think it's a close game throughout. This is where you're going to see a few growing pains probably from Jameis Winston. He's going to make mistakes this year. It's just now we have that, I feel almost like a superhuman expectation after what we saw last year, him come in for that one throw in the playoff game. Then you get to see the preseason game this year. Then you get to see five touchdowns in his first regular season game of the year. I think we got to take a deep breath. He's going to look good, but expect him not to just overnight get rid of that turnover problem that really plagued him in Tampa Bay. But the Saints win the game. They cover the three and a half. Denver's defense goes on the road. Six-point road favorites as a team that I don't even think a lot of people expect to go 500 at Jacksonville. Boy, should that tell you where Vegas' head is at on that Jacksonville team. This feels like a lock, too. I'm taking Denver to win and cover in this game. I don't know where Jacksonville's going to really be able to exploit problems on this Denver defense. And the fact that we haven't seen Urban Meyer really be able to coach up taking advantage of situations like that at the, honestly, realistically at either level, but at least so far in Jacksonville, I am a little worried and I do think Denver wins and I think they win very handily. I like Denver minus six in this game as well. I'm, you know, Jacksonville had problems, turnover problems, you know, looking at you, Trevor Lawrence, with three interceptions to a secondary that is not nearly as good as what they have going on in Denver. Yes, they are coming to visit. I get that. That defense is going to be absolutely filthy this year. Another problem that is in front of Trevor Lawrence, I just don't feel comfortable, to your point, Wally, Urban Meyer making that adjustment here to beat that Denver Broncos team. I don't see it. I like the minus six. I think it's a lock. At the same time, I think it's a trap. It's like, this looks like too good to be true. But you know what? I'm just going to take it and run with it. Broncos minus six. I got, I'll get my Broncos hat on Sunday, and I'm going to be rooting for that because that's another game that's going to be a lot of real-time money on there. Kicking to my division, we got the Minnesota Vikings and Patrick Peterson going back to Arizona and the desert to face his former team where Arizona's minus three-and-a-half point favorites. This really seems to be a trend. If it's not double digits, you're anywhere from three-and-a-half to five-and-a-half point favorites here. Arizona Cardinals. I'm going with Arizona minus three-and-a-half. They just whooped up on the Tennessee Titans. I do not see that changing at all against a visiting Minnesota Vikings team that was just struggling against Joe Burrow in a very young offense. I think Kyler Murray is going to dismantle this Minnesota Vikings team. I don't think Kirk Cousins and company are going to have anything to do. And a little side note here, Minnesota giving up three sacks last week. Chandler Jones had five sacks on his own which I don't know if we brought that up here while we were covering the games. Might have been something we glossed over. Chandler Jones had five sacks. We know that the Minnesota offensive line, after giving up those sacks, are a liability for Kirk Cousins. Take the over on the sacks here. I know I misled you here last week. Why not take the over? J.J. Watt wasn't even in the conversation last week with Chandler Jones' five sacks. He wants to get in on the party. I take that on top of Arizona minus three and a half in the desert with Patrick Peterson's return. I hadn't even like had it sink into me yet that Patrick Peterson gets to play his return game in only his second game as a Viking. 
That's pretty cool, and I like that it is at Arizona. You know that that fan base will be really excited to have him back and just simply be excited back to be in the stadium. So I do have the Cardinals as well to cover. I don't think that Chandler Jones is going to run up any weird stat total, so I'm not going to be touching that prop that you are. But I do think that they win, and I do think they cover Minnesota on both sides of the ball. Their interior line and their defensive line going to be issues for them. The worst pass rush in the NFL last year. We didn't see. I mean, they did make a step in improvement the other day. Five sacks against the Bengals. But again, how much of that is the Bengals offensive line being that bad? I would like to see if the Vikings are able to get a little bit of a pass rush again on Kyler. I think it's the only way they have to be able to stay in this game. But I don't think it's enough. I think the Cardinals score over 30 again. And we really start wondering about this offense being one of the best in the league. Arizona big, they cover. Atlanta's traveling to Tampa Bay, where the Buccaneers are 11.5-point favorites. Not a lot for me to say in this game. This is going to be my drop of the week. So when we get the prop block and drop here in a minute, you'll be hearing me from this again. For the sake of argument, I will pick Tampa Bay to cover this game because we're picking each game going with the spread. So I have Tampa Bay winning. I have them covering the 11.5. That's a lot of points in the NFL, especially against a guy like Matt Ryan where yeah, I'm critical of him quite often, but I don't think he's that bad that we're going to see them completely get dummied week in and week out. I don't like that it's that big of a number, but I will say Tampa Bay covers. On the book that I use, I have Tampa Bay at minus 14, which is insane. I want to take that right now. Now, it's minus 130 to take the points for the Atlanta Falcons, but why not sprinkle a little bit on there? For the sake of the argument, taking your own words, using it as my own, I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers minus 11.5 on, on this game as well. Maybe there's a, a fire in that locker room because the Cowboys shouldn't have been that close. And Tom Brady had a, you know, was playing a great game. I'm going to go with the 11.5 on here. I can see Atlanta shitting the bed again, not being able to play well against that defense, that front seven that's coming after Matt Ryan, going after Kyle Pitts, the guy who has just been talked nonstop about. And, you know, Tampa Bay knows that pretty well. They're in that same state that, Kyle Pitts was balling out at. You know there's going to be a huge target on that offense's back. I don't see it. I don't think that they are going to have enough offensive firepower to do anything against that Buccaneers defense. I will go for 11 and a half right now. Now we got the Dallas Cowboys visiting the Los Angeles Chargers at the new gorgeous SoFi Stadium. The Los Angeles Chargers open up as three-point favorites. And quite frankly, Wally, I am not looking anywhere close. Just for the segment... I want to take the Chargers minus three. Where my real-life money's going is the over on this, which is set at 56, flat. At least on my book, maybe you have a point, couple points, point and a half different. I'm going with the over on this. This is going to be an absolute shootout. That Cowboys secondary, even though they cause some turnovers, I think that's a one and done. Back-to-back weeks on the road. Justin Herbert likes to light it up. He got Keenan Allen. He got Mike Williams. Even my guy Kenny Guyton can make some plays. Austin Eckler in the backfield. This team is going to be able to do some damage. Demarcus Lawrence out with what seems to be a broken foot that he injured here in practice today, which is right now it is Wednesday. So that pass rush definitely just took a hit. I'm going to go with the Chargers with the home opener, winning it at minus three. But I really want that spread. But I really want that over at 56. This is going to look more like a Dallas Cowboy game once you see what the fans look like. 
LA has not really been kind to the Chargers in a small stadium. You consider the fact now you're opening a brand new one, sharing it with the Rams. Dallas is going to overrun that house. Guarantee it's 50-50 at best if you are a Chargers fan. Now with that said, I do think that they win. I do think that they cover. It's something that's going to take a little bit of time for Justin Herbert to get used to. But he will. Having to use the quiet, silent cadence at home, you'll get used to it. It will happen. The Dallas defense is still a little... I mean, they're, they're not good. You want to see more from Micah Parsons, and once you do, I think you get a little more comfortable hoping that they can win games like this. But until we see guys like him, until we see that rushing attack really take a step forward and get back to what we're more used to seeing, I'm going to have a difficult time taking Dallas to win these close games. So I do have the Chargers winning. I technically have them covering, but I think it's probably a three- or four-point game, so there's a very good chance there is a push. But I will take the Chargers again for the sake of argument. Now we'll go to the AFC South champion that I thought was going to be anyways. The Tennessee Titans travel to the 12th man in Seattle. Seahawks are four and a half point favorites. I'm going to sink or swim on the Tennessee train. This is going to be your Atlanta Falcons. I'm picking Tennessee to win this game. I not even just cover. I'm picking them to win the game. I think they're going to take the steps forward. I think they match up better with what Seattle does than what Indianapolis did last week. I'm hoping for their sake they can get up early, and if they do, at least then it'll allow them to get into what they like to do, what they like to do on their offense. So I do have Tennessee to win, although this this one is one I'm almost regretting even doing it now, but I wouldn't be shocked if Seattle comes out and whip snakes them. But what do you got, Stephen? Who do you have winning this game? I just love that you've already given up on Tennessee and have the Atlanta Falcons narrative of the pick that I had from last year. I love it. Way to stay positive, my man. I'm one foot in, one foot out. I like the Tennessee plus four and a half here. I don't think that they're going to win outright. But these are very similar similar teams outside of a couple pieces. I'm not going to sit here and compare Russell and Ryan Tannehill. They both have two very good studs in their wide receiver position. They both have very suspect defenses, especially in the secondary, and their offensive line both can use some work. I like the plus four and a half here for the Tennessee Titans. I think that they're going to bounce back, but unfortunately have a slow start, end up starting 0-2, because playing in that 12th man in Seattle is an absolute struggle. One of the loudest, not the loudest, the second loudest stadium in the NFL, and you know Russ and them are ready for that home opener. Russ is going to cook against that Tennessee defense. Over-under set at 54 here. I also like this. I could see both these teams being in the 30s. You could see like a 37-34 or maybe a 38-28 scoreline in favor of the Seahawks. So I think that the over is really going to hit here. I like Tennessee at plus 4.5. Really starting to get the confidence going in the front half of the schedule. We'll see where they go from there. Kansas City. Visiting Baltimore, this is going to be a great game. I cannot wait to watch this. These are always fun games. At the same time, I feel like we always know how this is going to end up. Kansas City, minus 3.5 at Baltimore. You know I'm taking Kansas City. It is so hard to bet against them. Over the last couple years, if you just take them, if you take their money line, you're going to be profitable. I don't want to go anywhere near their money line. I'm going to go with the minus 3.5 here. We saw what Kareem Hunt and the running backs were able to do against that Kansas City front seven. So all signs are pointing to Baltimore, who is expecting to be using more running backs behind Tassan Williams. 
all signs are pointing to Baltimore being able to really hone in on that deficiency that the Kansas City defense has. But if you're Kansas City, make Lamar pass it. Still not a lot of trust there. I still like Kansas City here. Until they're dethroned, I won't believe it. I think they're, they are going to go into Baltimore, put them in a 0-2 hole. And side note, once all these running back injuries started happening, I threw $10 on, on the AFC North to look like the Browns, Steelers, Bengals, Ravens as the final rankings to end the year. $10 to win $880. I'm just saying I want the Ravens to lose this game. I want to lose every game because that would be a lot of fun to win. Yeah, I haven't even seen where you would get a line like that before, so that'll be something you'll have to remind us if it stays relevant about halfway through the year. You'll have to get us a heads up on that. You know I'm going to be the first one reminding you, but you know what I love about you? You'll be the first one praising me. Ultimate hype, man. That's what I do right here. Gotta hype people up. We're going to be dead soon. We might as well at least be nice to each other. Hey, fair enough. I'll give you. I never said anything nice. I'll take, There's a difference between hype and nice. Just let's, let's not teeter between that line. Let's just stick on the hype side. I'll try to get better at that. I'm always just nice. But then I hype too, so it's a double thing. But the Chiefs, they're three and a half point favorites, like you said. I'm taking the Chiefs. I'm taking them to cover. The Ravens are going to have a lot of issues this year not being able to run the ball. And unless we see a pre-holdout Le'Veon Bell, or if we see a quicker Latavius Murray, I don't know who's going to step in and be the guy. I don't think that any of the guys in that locker room right now, from a running back perspective, is good enough to elevate this team's play. And we saw a few good throws from Lamar. I don't want to knock him. He had a couple good throws, but he didn't do enough to beat that Raiders defense. Maybe he couldn't do enough to beat a Las Vegas Raiders defense. We have to start wondering if he can get it done. I'm taking the Chiefs minus three and a half. Patrick Mahomes, I think the offense, score early, control this game. It lets the defense settle in a little easier than what they did against the Browns. And because of that running game or lack thereof, I think they're going to win big, and I think the Ravens are in a lot of trouble. But then we'll go to your team. I'll keep it quick. I'll let you do more of the preview for this. The Lions are going to Green Bay to Lambeau. Your Packers are 11.5-point favorites. They're going to win. They're going to cover. This Lions team we're going to see out throughout the course of the year, especially once injuries start happening, how thin and how lacking of talent this roster, this team has. And I just hope Lions fans are at least patient with Dan Campbell, just like I want Falcons fans to be patient with Arthur Smith, all these teams that David Cully even, Jesus, you set a guy up for failure. You can't expect him to just magically turn a team into a winner. And I really hope Lions fans are willing to be patient because it's going to be ugly for a while. Still, I have PTSD taking these double-digit spreads. Green Bay and Detroit play early on in the year. They're typically pretty close games. Every now and again, Green Bay kind of just takes it takes it and runs away here in the fourth quarter, but also they've had Matt Stafford to lean on. I'm not really that confident in Jared Goff. Awesome. They're coming off that, you know, things we don't like to say, they're coming off that moral victory in San Fran. They ended it. Maybe they maybe they had a thing where Dan Campbell's like, holy shit, anyone who took the Lions at plus nine and a half, we all hit because of that surge. But, you know, has the locker room ready to play? You're going into Lambeau. You know the Packers are going to have that full stadium, baby. They're going to open up that season. You know what? I'm going to go with Detroit at plus 11 and a half right now. I just don't trust my team enough. And quite frankly, when I choose 
use them to hit the spread they never do. When I choose them to lose, they always win. So maybe this is my way of psyching myself into a nice 12-point, 13, 14-point victory. On my book right now, what I'm really looking at is the over-under, which is only set at 48.5 on you know the book that I'm seeing. I love that over. This is either going to be Detroit coming back get, or getting some garbage time touchdowns that's going to push that, or, or Green Bay wins by 40, Detroit just gets a 10 points on the board to make it feel competitive. I don't like the receivers in Detroit enough to be confident. That's a mismatch in the favorites of Green Bay. Jamal Williams coming back to the place that he started his career. Maybe he can run across all of our defense. I'm really honed in on the over at 48 and a half, but I'll take the Lions. I'll take the Lions with the points right now. That is it for the week two lines of what our picks are going to be, which brings us to our last and final segment. Our favorite, at least my favorite, prop, lock, and drop it. I'm gonna, I'll start us off here, Wally. Then I'll let you close us out here, bud. Prop, lock, and drop it. My prop, big surprise if you've caught the trend here, over in the sacks of the Vikings in the Cardinals game, which is set at five and a half sacks. Like we said, Chandler Jones had the five sacks last week. The Minnesota Vikings gave up three sacks, but also sacked Joe Burrow five times. This line is looking very appetizing to me. That is my prop for the week. The lock. Thursday night game here, Washington football team minus three against the New York Giants. Too many injury problems on that offense aside. Not like if they were all playing that I'd really give New York, the New York Giants the, at plus three. I'm going to go with the Washington football team minus three as my lock to open up our week two slate. And my drop, you saw me picking a lot of the over-unders. I like Tampa Bay and I was kind of forced to go with the 11 and a half that they were favored of that. But I'm staying away from the over-under at 52.5 for the Atlanta-Tampa Bay game. The reason why, Atlanta can't score more than six points against a Philadelphia Eagles defense. What makes me feel confident that they can do it against arguably the best defense in the league? I have no confidence in what Matt Ryan and Arthur Smith are doing in that offense. Yes, I know Wally, I should give them time. I'm impatient. I don't think that that is going to work because, come on, you have... You have the skilled players to make a nice boom in your first game. And you get mollywopped at home. I have more confidence that of them scoring less points in this game than anywhere close to scoring more. I'm staying away from that over under. Wally, what's your prop lock and drop it here, you bad little bitch? I'll just start with my prop then, I guess. I'm a bad little bitch. So Jameis Winston, his over under for passing yards this upcoming week against Carolina I found it at 231 and a half. That seems really low to me, especially against a Carolina team. You heard me talking before. They were up 16-0 in that game and didn't entirely look all that good in doing so. I think that the Saints are going to at least get up early in this game. And I think Jameis is going to have a more comfortable day getting yards through the air too, not all dink and dunks. The line is right now at minus 128, so it was... A little low. I don't know where it'll be at for you at this moment, but Jameis Winston hit that over of 231 yards. I think that's a good bet there. And then my lock of the week, I'm going to say the Rams minus three and a half at on the road even at Indianapolis for the Colts. I need to see this passing game look halfway decent. I don't trust Carson Wentz, and I trust him even less when you look at the receivers he is forced to throw the ball to right now. Until we have T.Y. Hilton back, 
I have no faith that this Colts offense is going to be able to do anything unless Jonathan Taylor can put the world on his back. Now my drop here, the Falcons in Tampa Bay. It's an 11.5. I had it at the one I just looked. It looks like the line is up to 12.5 in FanDuel now. So it is trending towards your 14. I don't like that game. I really don't like betting too many spreads when it gets beyond 10 points. I know this week I said that I would bet Green Bay at minus 11.5 and the Browns at 12.5. I think both of those hit, but it's just something weird about that Tampa Bay one. You just had a really emotional night, banner night, against Atlanta, and then Atlanta got embarrassed on Sunday like they did. I mean, these guys are professionals, and they still want to go out there and look good. They don't want to be embarrassed. I think Atlanta shows up. I think they look halfway decent, and I'm going to at least Give them the benefit of the doubt, so I'm going to drop this game. So there you have it. Prop, Jameis Winston passing yards, lock, Rams to cover at Indianapolis, drop anything to do with the Tampa Bay-Atlanta game. And that will bring us to the end of another episode of Lost and Down. Week 2 bets, prop, lock, and drop it in there. Our breakdown of Week 1, all right before the kickoff of the Thursday night game. And if you're traveling this weekend, this is a great Great waiting to spend your drive. We got we got a couple hours for you. You also can't forget about Mr. Wally over here. Got a little pigskins and nylon too. Get a little bit of your college fix. If you're going out there Friday, listen to your college picks. You're driving back Sunday, listen to the loss of down NFL picks. We got you covered. Make sure to check us out on all of our social media platforms. We have Instagram and Facebook at loss of down. Of course, Twitter down underscore loss. I am Stephen Weed, and of course. He's the man, Wally Lukashevsky. Wally, what do you have to say for our gorgeous listeners? Uh, man, not much. I'm looking forward to this slate. Now we get to really feel like football season's back. That first couple weeks of college football, and then even the first week with the NFL, it's more, I guess, of a celebration, like a birthday party feel. Now it's business. Now I get to sit down. Now we get to actually see what these teams are all about. Emotions settled down a little bit. This is when the real people start showing up. You get to see the real football fans in the world. I mean, this is what's so cool about 21st century NFL. We have Monday night football. We have Thursday night football. We have Sunday all day. Saturday even comes into play in the, what, Christmas season. And then not to mention, we have so much college football right now, too. I'm, like, overwhelmed. And this is it's just the best time of year. I, I feel like I'm rambling because I just, I'm on top of the world. I'm so happy right now. Fuck gangsta's paradise. This is degenerate gambler paradise. We're all in the season. We had Champions League today. You got college. You got pro football. You sprinkle it in with a little MLB coming up with the playoffs. You got the start of the NHL and NBA coming here in the next few weeks here. It's good. It's a good time to be alive. It's a good time to get you out of that hole with loss of down. Until next week, he is Wally and I am Steven. Go Packers, baby. Rest in peace, Norm McDonald. You're the damn man.